Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Al. I'm one of the leaders here at Gateway. It's great to see you. And it's so great to see so many new faces here today as well. And so if this is your first time here, particularly if this is your first time ever in church, um, well done for being here. It's great that you're with us and I pray you just feel at home, really, uh, being part of our family. This is a family you are invited to come and uh, be a part of and to come and join in with. So if you've been around recently, you'll know that we've been preaching on the church looking at the foundations of the church, really. And I don't know about you. I don't know what you think of church. I don't know what your picture is of what the church uh, is. Um, but in, um, in a, a great book that I love to read and reread over and over again called Gaining by Losing, there's an American pastor and author called J.D. Greer. And he, he uses this analogy of ships to describe three ways that people often think about the church that I just want to start with today and lead us into looking at the book of Acts together. So firstly, some people view the church a bit like this luxury cruise liner. Has anybody been on? I've never been on a cruise before. Um, I'm guessing probably a few people in this room have. Probably the place I'd love to go would be to Norway, to the fjords. That would be a great place. I was very jealous when Jules and Sarah went there last year on, on the pictures you put up. But many people view um, church like a cruise liner. And a cruise liner is designed for luxury and to meet my needs, yes? It's about comfort. It's about luxury, it's about enjoyment, it's about entertainment. And when we apply that picture to the church, we really start to ask, does the church meet my needs? Is the church entertaining enough? Is it comfortable enough? Is the coffee okay? Was the music decent? Do my kids get looked after well? Do, do my young people like it? And so we, we, we approach church through this lens of entertainment or um, transaction or does it meet the needs I have? Does it provide what I want in life? And when we do that, what happens when the church ceases to meet the needs that I think I have? Well, there's a different cruise line down the road that I'll just go and be a part of. That's what, that's what happens. And, and we live in a consumer society. So although it's a bit of a parody, let's not all um, fake ourselves and pretend that we don't sometimes feel like this. We live in a world that calls us to consume and have my needs met all the time. And that naturally seeps into how we view the church sometimes. So each one of us sometimes will go home from a Sunday and go, well, I didn't like that bit of the church service. Or the coffee wasn't great today. We all do it. I do it sometimes. I know I'm guilty of that. And I suspect that we all are too. But when we allow this way of thinking to become dominant, well, we just create a transactional view of the church. And we basically make it about my needs being met, if you like. The second picture that he um, uses in his book is one of a battleship. Now, this is better than a cruise liner. A battleship carries huge weapons. And the idea is that these big weapons get loaded into these bays and they get fired off into enemy territory. And they make big impact. They make dramatic impacts into enemy territory in the moment of a battle. And when you apply this to the church... What this is like is it's like, well, the church is there to run a few big programs and ministries, and as long as those things are being done, then the church is going okay. And what happens in this kind of way of thinking is that a few people do a few things, and everyone else goes, oh, well, as long as they're doing that, then mission's covered. And as long as they're doing that, then the poor are being cared for. And as long as they're doing over that, then community's happening in the church. And as long as a few people over here are doing that, then, then disciples are going to be made. And what happens is we reduce the church to the majority spectating and the minority firing off these big guns into the world or into one another as a community. But the reality is, whilst this is better than coming for entertainment, if we are going to transform Swindon, which is the call of God, 
on us as a people, we need something more than this. We need something more than a few people doing a few things and everyone else sort of spectating and sitting on and watching or having a few big, big programs that we run and everyone just going, well, my job is just to, just to feed into that so that those can be done. We need to think more like an aircraft carrier, I believe, in these days. This is the third picture that he uses in his book. Aircraft carriers are by very definition designed to equip planes to go and fly off into other places. And in fact, planes stuck on an aircraft carrier aren't fulfilling their purpose. It's only when planes go off into enemy territory and actually they're fulfilling the purpose to which they were designed to do. And applied to the church, when we think about the church, we are like planes, if you like, and we have been called out into the world as a mobilized people to go and take the kingdom of God, not one of destruction, but one of peace and joy and hope and love and grace and compassion into a broken world, into broken communities and into broken cities. And I believe in these days, if we want to become a church that takes hold the commission of Jesus from Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations, what we need to learn to do is to equip us, see ourselves to be equipped as planes that go out from an aircraft carrier into the world. Less like a battleship and certainly not like a cruise liner. Yes, we need, we need programs and ministries, but what we need is to see ourselves as people who have been sent out from this place into a broken world to go and bring the life of Jesus Christ. And that each one of us carries the authority and the identity and the power of God with us as we go to go and see transformation in our everyday lives, in our everyday moments, wherever we go, every day of the week. That's what I believe that this moment is about. And that's, that's a hopefully a helpful picture. And as we turn to the book of Acts today, what I believe we're going to see is the early church functioned more like this. They functioned more like a community who went out, not just ones or twos, not just a few leaders, but the body of Christ was mobilized into the mission of God. And the end result was that transformation happened wherever they went. So if you have a Bible, um, please do turn to Acts chapter 8. Um, it will come up on the screen. Um, if you know the book of Acts, um, or if you don't, that's okay. I want to do a very quick recap of how we get to Acts chapter 8. So the book of Acts starts with Jesus rising from the dead, and he's with his disciples. And he says, I am going back to be with my Father in heaven. And he says, as I go back, you, followers of Jesus, are going to be witnesses. You're going to bear witness about me, Jesus, here in Jerusalem where they were, to the surrounding regions in Judea, further out, and to the ends of the earth. But you're going to do that as those who are empowered by the Spirit of God. And so that's the commission that Jesus leaves them with as he ascends back to be with the Father. And if you read Acts chapter 2, you know that the Holy Spirit comes in power and the church is birthed into life. Um, the, the day of Pentecost happens. Thousands of people get saved on the day of Pentecost. The kingdom of God starts to break out. Church is formed and they form this wonderful deep fellowship with each other where they love one another, where they're devoted to each other, where they serve one another's needs. People are getting added to their number every single day. That's what it says in the book of Acts. The kingdom of God breaks out in signs and wonders in and around Jerusalem. They start to appoint leaders to serve into the early church. And if you read Acts kind of 1 to 5, 1 to 6, you think it's a pretty good thing going on, okay, except if you're Ananias and Sapphira, it wasn't quite such a good thing going on for those guys. 
But what happens is that church is exploding into life, and it's all centered around Jerusalem. And they seem to have forgotten that the invitation and the call of God was to go, yes, be empowered, but to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There didn't seem to be any immediate sense, as you read Acts 1 to 5, that they're about to head off into the rest of the world to go and take the good news of Jesus beyond the borders. But the story starts to change in Acts chapter 6 because persecution starts to take hold of the church. Stephen, who had just been appointed to help serve widows in the church, is arrested and then killed um, in Jerusalem, which is where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 8. So Saul, who becomes Paul, the famous apostle who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he basically approves of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said to Philip. When they heard him and they saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Do you see what's happening in the story of God here? There is a great persecution that arises against the church in Jerusalem. And what happens? The church suddenly finds itself scattered. And who gets scattered? If you go back to verse, um, which verse is it? Verse 1 here. And they were all scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. It's interesting who ends up leaving Jerusalem. It's everyone but the apostles, but the leaders of the early church, The Jerusalem church at this point, which had thousands of people in it, was largely emptied. There was pretty much no one left in the church except the apostles. And up until this point, the church had been in one place, Jerusalem. And now suddenly the church finds itself spread out into different locations around the region of Israel. It had been in one place, and now suddenly it's scattered. And verse 4 tells us this, that these accidental missionaries... These men and women, most of whom are probably new to faith in Jesus. Okay, these are, these are people who are newer to faith in Jesus. What did they do? They went about preaching and seeing signs and wonders of the kingdom. The first great missionary movement of the church, the first time the gospel left Jerusalem, was not through the mouths of apostles or leaders, but through the body of Christ and through ordinary, everyday believers who were empowered by the Spirit and who got hold of the message that they too had a part to play in fulfilling the Great Commission. It wasn't Peter that first took the gospel outside Jerusalem. It wasn't Paul that first took the gospel. It was everyday believers who were empowered by the Spirit of God who knew they had a part to play in making disciples of all nations, who by, not through their own design, 
They didn't want to necessarily leave Jerusalem, but in God's sovereignty they did. And wherever they went, they find themselves in different places, preaching the word of God, seeing the kingdom of God break out, seeing people get saved, seeing people healed, and seeing God break out into those places. All the while, Peter and Paul and the others, or not Paul at this point, Peter and the other apostles are in Jerusalem. And the gospel is spread into new lands and new regions and new territories through ordinary, everyday believers who got hold of the things of God. And verse 5 to 8 tells us this one specific story of Philip, who was one of the seven who was chosen in Acts chapter 6. And he goes to Samaria, a place that Jews did not like, remember. The Jews and the Samaritans did not like. They were enemies um, through that century. And he performs signs of the kingdom of God. And he preaches Christ there. And many people respond. Many people respond. And actually what we see is this isn't an isolated incident in the book of Acts. If you jump to Acts chapter 11, you see this. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, which is in modern-day Lebanon, Cyprus, and Antioch, which is in modern-day Syria, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number turned to the Lord. Again, it's this same group of people who were scattered, everyone except the apostles, who found themselves in far-off lands, who saw it as their role, who saw it as their commission, who saw it as their calling to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus into the places that they found themselves. And this is the first time the gospel goes beyond the boundaries of kind of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and it starts to go into Lebanon and into Syria and into Cyprus. And it's through men and women like you and I who've got hold of the message of Jesus and said, we're going to take it beyond the place that we first encountered it in Jerusalem. And it's not the only place. If you look at Acts chapter 19, Apollos first takes the gospel to Ephesus. And he's, again, he's not an apostle. He's not a leader. If you look at Acts chapter 8, Paul meets a group of unnamed brothers and sisters who seem to have established the church in Rome. And what happened is that despite persecution that the Christians did not want, they did not ask for, God uses it for the advance of his gospel. Because the power of God was with these scattered missionaries. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And wherever they went, life came. And more happened in the kingdom of God through these scattered missionaries that were sent to Judea and to Samaria and to Lebanon and to Syria and to Cyprus than could have happened if the church had remained rooted in Jerusalem. The effects of ordinary, everyday believers empowered by the Holy Spirit taking the word of God to the region was that the gospel went forth in ways it never could have if it had remained in one place in Jerusalem. Despite the fact the church was great, despite the fact you read it and there were so many good things about the church in Jerusalem, the call of God is to go out beyond the borders of Jerusalem to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And God's chosen mechanism, it seemed, through the book of Acts is men and women, many who are new to faith, who said, I have a part to play in the Great Commission. That wherever I go, I'm someone who brings life. Wherever I go, I carry the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
I carry the authority of God to go and bring life and joy and hope into hurting and broken communities and into places that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, in saying all of this, I don't want to underplay the role of the apostles in the book of Acts. Okay, the apostles had an incredibly important role in missionary advance in the early church. You think of uh, Peter taking the gospel first to the Gentiles and breaking open new ground to the Gentiles. You think of Paul's missionary journeys through the second book of Acts, opening up new ground and planting new churches. You look almost everywhere um, where there's new churches planted, what happens is the apostles go and they lay foundations. The apostles had an incredibly important role to play in the early church. But what I believe Acts shows us is what happens when a church gets mobilized into the purposes of God. In this case, through persecution, and what happens is they bring life wherever they go. Because I believe what happened in the early church is that they knew that Jesus had entrusted his, his ministry and his message to the entire church, not just to a few apostles. I believe that's what they got hold of as they were scattered. They realized, oh, this isn't about whether Peter preaches the gospel or James. This isn't about whether Paul then gets saved and goes on missionary journeys. This is about me and the place that I am found. The place that God ends up sending me to is a place where I get to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus. It's the place that I get to go and bring life to other people. Wherever that may be, whether that be in Jerusalem or in Samaria or Phoenicia or Antioch or Cyprus, I'm sent there as a citizen of heaven to go and bring life into that place. And that's what I believe Acts shows us, is it's a a church that gets hold of this commission that everyone has a part to play, and that everyone is sent as a scattered missionary into the places that they find themselves. And if you read Acts, you know it's not just on the front line of mission where the church is activated and mobilized, but in the context of their service to one another. You read Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, And we see a family that is deeply devoted to one another, that deeply meets one another's needs, that says, when you have need, I'm there to meet your need. And so what we see is the church mobilized into the mission of God and the church mobilized into its service of one another. And we see a church where each one takes its place. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Do you know if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, you are a minister of reconciliation into a hurting world? That is your identity. You're a minister of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Not only are you a minister of reconciliation, you are an ambassador for Christ. If you think about an ambassador, they are sent from their host nation into a different land to go and represent that country into a different nation. And they are sent with the authority to get the job done. That's what an ambassador is. And you, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, and me, as a follower of Jesus, have been given the authority of heaven. We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and bring the King of glory into a place that is far from our true home. 
That's what it means to be an ambassador. That's what it means to be a minister of reconciliation. And what I believe this morning is this, and what I believe God is doing in us as a church, and he wants to take us on a journey of together, is if we are going to change the destiny of this town, if we're going to change the destiny of our neighbours, if we're going to change the destiny of our friends, if we're going to change the destiny of our workplaces and the streets of Swindon and the injustices that we see all around us, it's going to need us to move beyond the safety of our own Jerusalem, which is our building and our gatherings. It's going to need us to move beyond. And that's uncomfortable because we like our gatherings. We like our comfort. The early church, I believe, liked being in Jerusalem. They didn't want to be scattered out. There was a reluctance, it seemed, but God in his sovereignty says, no, go, because there's a, there's a world to be reached. And I believe that God today, he says, there's a mobilization of the church taking place. And the next great move of God, I believe, is going to happen, not centrally, but mobil- through mobilized people. It's not centralized, it's mobilized. It's going to take place when every one of us, myself included, by the way, I'm preaching this to myself, man, I've got a long way to go takes hold of this commission that we carry authority as scattered and mobilized missionaries everywhere we go on Monday to Saturday. And that's what it looks like to be a people of God. We haven't been scattered like the early church, although I recognize there are some here today, and the reason you are here is because of persecution. But that's not the majority of our stories. But we have been sent everywhere across this town. We have been sent everywhere across this town, into neighborhoods, into schools, into colleges, into workplaces, streets, into families, and with our friends. And we've been sent as missionaries into these places. I want us to see that we've been sent as missionaries into these environments, into places that only you or only I can reach for Jesus. Because that's where God has put you, and that's where God has placed you. And imagine if we went home today... And we, rem- we were reminded that we carry God's presence into our neighborhoods. That as you go home and you enter your front door, you actually go into that place and you bring the presence of God. And as you're talking to your neighbor this afternoon, imagine going and being reminded that actually I carry God's presence in my conversation with my neighbor. Imagine if we got hold of the authority that we carry as followers of Jesus to see life comes wherever we go. Imagine going to work tomorrow morning knowing that you have been sent there as an ambassador for Jesus to represent him in how you love and serve others and how you work. And imagine the joy that gets released in our city if we mobilize ourselves in so many small and unseen and hidden ways in our everyday, ordinary moments. The reality is this. For the majority of us, being mobilized into reaching others, into, into being, bringing the kingdom of God, looks like being where we already are. It doesn't actually look like going to new places or doing new things. What it does look like is showing up the places that God has already put us with fresh confidence and fresh authority and fresh empowerment by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't actually look like going to new places. It looks more like being intentional in the places where God has already put ourselves. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message version. He says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. 
take your everyday, ordinary life and place it before God as an offering. Take everyday moments and just say, God, how can I use this for your glory, for your kingdom? Take everyday moments and say, God, what are you doing in this place? And what does it mean that I've been sent here as an ambassador? What does it mean that I bring authority into this place? Do you know when you walk into a room, you bring authority from the king of glory? Do you know that? When you walk into hospital tomorrow morning for work, you actually bring the authority of heaven there. When you're talking to a client tomorrow morning, you're empowered by the presence of God. You're talking to your neighbor and they're struggling. You're an ambassador for Jesus. And that, when we get hold of this kind of way of living and this kind of way of being, is what I believe it looks like to be a people who are mobilized in the everyday ordinariness of life to say, I've been sent here and I've been sent here. And I've been sent. We don't have to wait for a calling to be sent somewhere because each one of us has already been sent somewhere today, this afternoon, tomorrow morning, Tuesday afternoon. We've already been sent somewhere already. Often we, in life, we wait for this big calling moment but you know what? You've already been sent and you've already been given the authority that you need and you already carry the presence of God. And I think sometimes we just need reminding of that. And so just as we come to land in a moment, there's just two things I want to just do to help us respond really. The first is this. We so often forget the authority that we carry in Christ. You know, the kingdom of God works on authority. Genesis chapter 1, Adam and Eve are created and they're given authority by God. Revelation, the end of the story, we are reigning and ruling with Jesus. The story of God is one from uh, where God chooses to use mankind to bring about his kingdom plans and purposes with authority. Okay, and that authority gets lost because of sin entering the world. But Jesus, death and resurrection means he has reclaimed authority. All authority, it says in scripture, has been given to me. That's what Jesus says. Now, therefore, go. Because you go carrying the authority of heaven wherever you go. As you leave the doors of the church this morning, you go with authority. And we need to be reminded of that because actually sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget, oh yeah, do you know what, it's just a little of me, I've got nothing to offer, I've got nothing to say, I don't know what I'm, if my neighbor talks to me about Jesus, what on earth am I going to say? Well, this is it. You carry authority in the kingdom of God. actually are one who carries the power and the presence of God with you in the everyday ordinariness of life. And secondly, I feel like God wants us to be moved with compassion in these days. You know, often we sing a song, don't we? Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything. I'm going to stop now. That woke you all up. In a bad way, I think. You know, after we sing that song and then we move on to the next lyric, but actually what I believe we need to ask God to do is to really go, Lord, would you break my heart for what breaks yours? For my neighbor who is lonely and isolated, would you break my heart for that person? For my family member who's far from you, would you break my heart? For my work colleagues who are going to an eternity without Jesus, would you break my heart for them? children in this town who are living in poverty and destitution, would you break my heart for that? 
And so often we can brush things off. But Jesus went around being moved by compassion. And compassion in the Bible is like this guttural cry from your bowels and from your, from your very core. It's like this cry of like, ah, there's something wrong and God has called me to do something about it. And it always, with Jesus, led him to action. Compassion led to action for Jesus. Jesus, when Jesus, full of compassion, did. Jesus, moved by compassion, did. And what I believe God wants to do in these moments is he wants to break our hearts and he wants to move us by compassion again. Because it can be easy just to go around our lives and to forget we live in a broken world where people are hurting, where there's darkness and injustice all around us. And we, can, we, can, we don't know what to do with it. And so we just sort of close our ears and we just move on and we, we, just, we, we just watch a Netflix series because it just dulls our mind. And, but God says, I want you as my people to be moved with compassion for your town. And I want to put something in you today, church, where there's a deep, guttural cry of compassion that says this is a city for God. And it's going to be, if we're going to reach it, it requires each one of us to say, hey, I've got a part to play. And it might well look like delivering a meal to my neighbor this afternoon. Or it might well go to my colleague tomorrow who I know is hurting and just go, hey, do you know what? I just want you to know that God loves you. Or it might look like boldly saying, Hey, one of your family members is sick, and I pray for you, and I want to believe that Jesus is going to heal you. It might look like a whole, whole lot of different things, but it starts from a place of authority and a place of compassion. Can I just invite us to, um, to stand in response? I'm aware of time. I'm, I'm sorry I've overrun.